Your business is an asset that can support a thriving life. I believe this, and I am committed to making this a reality for every entrepreneur and business owner who listens to this podcast. The Women Driving in Business podcast was created with you in mind. Whether you are thinking about entrepreneurship or you're a business veteran, this podcast has inspiration, information, and advice you can use to thrive in business. Women Thriving in Business features candid, unscripted conversations with entrepreneurs, business experts, authors, and academics who will contribute to your business success. I seek out and talk with business leaders who have built, grown, and thrived in business. My name is Nikki Rogers, transformation coach, author, and the host of Women Thriving in Business podcast. I work with women entrepreneurs to develop the mindset, strategies, and connections necessary to thrive in business. Join me and your fellow thrivers each week on this journey of discovery and success. Welcome, Thrivers, to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is Becca Powers, who is a motivational speaker, executive life coach, and author of Harness Your Inner CEO. Becca and I had a great conversation, and we really dove deep. This is a really deep conversation. It's a very personal conversation that I definitely appreciated and learned so much from. We talked about the power of and and how that creates expansion in your life. So if you think about the word and and substituting that everywhere that you use the word or and think about how much more space that provides to you. We talked about giving yourself permission to let go of some things in order to be able to live more freely, saying yes to yourself. And asking those key what if questions as you think about the decisions that you have to make. And finally, a big part of our conversation was recognizing that your self-worth determines your net worth. Becca Powers is a woman after my own heart and spirit who lives and teaches the concept of always evolving. Becca is an award-winning sales executive and motivational speaker. Becca's guts and grits journey to success reaches beyond business. She empowers women to prioritize themselves for a more fulfilling and joyful life. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So let's go. Welcome Thrivers to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is Becca Powers, who is a motivational speaker, executive life coach, and author of the Harness Your Inner CEO book. So welcome, Becca. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Nikki. (laughs) Let's just get right into it. Becca, you are a dualpreneur. So can you talk to us about what led you to pursuing entrepreneurship, but also how you have adjusted your corporate life in order to be able to balance the two? Yeah, I'd love to. It's one of the topics I'm super passionate about. So how I started doing it was giving myself permission to. 
And I know that sounds really simple, but that is the one thing we don't do. We wish for things to be different. We isolate ourselves into one way of thinking. And I call it the power of and. I talk about it a little bit in my book, but once I was able to be like, oh, I can do this and this, I honestly just felt expansion almost immediately because that limitation was broken. And I was like, wow, I can do both. And what I found is that I ended up finding alteration in my career path that gave me more freedom and flexibility during for my schedule that I was able to fit things in without one sacrificing the other. They actually complement each other really well. So I was able to write the book, coach clients, build a speaking career, and it actually even accents or helps my current corporate career. Great. I love that. Now, we talked before about some of the adjustments that you made in your corporate career. So I think for a lot of particularly women who are on that corporate ladder, on that fast track, I think it's very easy to be, I'm going to say, seduced by titles and responsibilities and not necessarily be focused on where you're making the most impact. So can you talk a bit and tell the listeners about how you navigated your corporate career to actually be able to have more time, more flexibility, and be able to do what you were really passionate about. I I would love to. And that's really important to double click in it because it's like the how. One thing that I realized is that I did have passions outside of my corporate career, like I was just talking about, and it needed space. So where is that space going to come from? We find ourselves when we're in our corporate careers, chase, like you said, chasing that corporate ladder. Even if we're not chasing a corporate ladder, we might be engaging in projects or taking team lead responsibilities or just really making sure that our schedules are so full that they are bleeding into our personal lives. I see it time and time again. I know we had talked about that before too. So one thing that I really had to do is, is prioritize and say what's most important to me. And what was most important to me was giving space to let this part of me express itself without sacrificing myself in the process. What I had to do on the outside was start saying no to things. We talked about this, but I had to start saying no to taking on additional responsibilities. At that time, I was a regional sales manager. I had a team under me. I had my fingers in everything (laughs) and everything. And I had to start saying no to meetings and to other responsibilities so that I could say yes to myself. What did that look like from the reactions of maybe your leadership? And I know you talked about actually stepping into a different role. So walk us through that actual transition period. So in the process of, like I said, saying no to other things so that I could say yes to myself, what that ended up looking like was a lot of awkwardness. So listeners just know that in the pursuit of creating the dual life, there will be some awkwardness, but it's all for the better and so much joy and expansion comes from it. But the initial awkwardness was that, again, I started saying no to additional responsibilities. And so then other people started getting put into these projects and things in my place. And I was being excluded from things rather than being invited. And that inner part of me that needed, that thrived on validation and approval was freaking out. I was like, I'm just kidding. Maybe I should go back to my old ways. But luckily I stayed true to myself and I kept pushing through. And as Nikki was saying, she's alluding to a bigger change. I was a regional sales manager for several years. 
And as I started looking at my career and wanting to express this other part of myself, I had to reevaluate what my career looked like. And I didn't take a demotion really, but from a title perspective, I took a demotion and I stepped out of management and I have stepped out of management in December, 2016 and have not returned. I am now a sales executive. So I sell to director level all the way up to C-suite in my corporate career, but I am technically just a salesperson. So that was one of the big things. And I had to be okay with that in my ego, right? That ditch in my title to do these other things. But in the pursuit of it all, I actually ended up making more money too. So there's the thing that I didn't know was going to happen. I think that's an important part because, you know, everyone's probably like, where's the money? So I, I think you hit upon a key point that the titles and the responsibility don't often, don't always equal more compensation. And you were able to, quote unquote, take a step back from a outsider looking in perspective on your career, but you're actually being compensated more. You have more flexibility. And again, you're able to say yes to yourself because yes. of that. So you had mentioned taking a step back to reevaluate what was going. And I think that is one of the most important parts that I did that I encourage my clients and just the listeners as well is often as women specifically, we have the ability, our resilience is incredible. It is one of our natural born gifts, but it can also turn into hindrance because we are able to power through and reset all the time. And because of that, I found myself not pausing enough to recalibrate, to reconsider things, which is why I ended up staying at a job that wasn't a fit for a really long time. So what I'd like to encourage listeners to do is to pause and reconsider career paths, passions, side hustles. Are you ready to make that pure jump into entrepreneurship? There's a lot that goes on and there's a lot of different ways that it can be done. I think that I'm just going to digress for one second. We kind of talked about a little bit in the beginning how I felt like I had to do one path or the other. A lot of women really feel that they have to make a choice. And the reality is that there are so many ways to go about change. You can do it slowly or you can do a rip the band-aid, but there's a lot of things in between. And so taking that time to pause and reconsider is so important. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to double click on that. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, one of the things you just mentioned about being in a space that wasn't quite the right fit, again, I think a lot of, in particular, women who are navigating or they're getting to a stage in life where they're like, there must be more. But we hear a lot about, I'm going to say, the workplace trauma that women in particular are going through and experiencing. And it's almost a feeling of, if I go somewhere else, it's going to be exactly the same there must be something going on with me that I'm experiencing this. We talked a bit before about your previous position and how that actually led to burnout and mm -hmm. illness. And so mm -hmm. can you talk a bit about what you were experiencing and what brought you to the point that you knew you had to make a change and you were willing to trust that you could go to another space and still be successful? So I know that's a big No, question. but I got it all. I am a stubborn woman. And so there might be listeners that can identify with that. <laughs> so here we go. I started this new job. I had was a regional sales manager for Dell, left Dell because I am a mission-driven woman. I know 
There's probably women listening that are very impact oriented, mission oriented. We've got a plan. We want to contribute very much the same way. As a sales leader, I have a saying that's people before profits, and that's how I lead. And I got recruited by a company that had a very similar motto. And I was like, I'm going. (laughs) I don't care if I'm with Dell, I'm leaving. I'm going with this company. It's a sign. So the company itself was fantastic, but I didn't incur some resistance to my leadership style and to, I would say my strength. I'm an A player. I have a lot of tenacity. I am a lot, but in a good way. And within three months, three or four months of being in that role, I was asked to tone it down by 50%, not 10, 20, but 50. And so being new, and if any of the listeners might be able to relate to this, I complied. I didn't. I was in that space of not wanting to lose my job by being overpowering or overly stubborn and just pushing back. I was the breadwinner at the time and had four kids. So that's a lot to consider. So instead of staying in my power and saying that is something I could never do, which I should have done, I said, okay. And it was at that moment that my self-worth crumbled. I can clearly, I get the goosebumps as I'm telling you, Nikki, but I didn't know it at the time that my self-worth crumbled, but it did. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed in that position for two and a half more years. So ladies listening, two and a half years of staying in a position where my leadership was asking me to be 50% of myself. I ended that two-year run with two anxiety disorders. These are my diagnosed things, by the way. I had other things. Two anxiety disorders, chronic stress. I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue. And what else? adult ADHD and autoimmune disease, just to name a few. I was a hot mess. And if all the labeled diagnosis aren't enough, my hair was falling out in clumps. But still I proceeded. That wasn't enough to make me stop. What made me stop is a breakdown. I had a breakdown. I fell one night after having a really bad day at work towards the end of this run, put the kids to bed, did all my mom stuff when I got home. I was washing my face in the bathroom. And I fell to my knees and just started crying. And I did my call out to the universe or God, whatever you're comfortable as far as a framework on that goes. But I called out to God and I was just like, I need another way. I can't power through another day. I can't see another solution. I am desperate. And I say that like my instant miracle came through. And that was really the source of the book too, is that my instant miracle was not a job, although that ended up coming. What it was, was I remembered something that a former VP of sales told me that I am the CEO of my life. He had said that to me years before. Mm -hmm. And so here I am broken on the bathroom floor and uh, memory comes right back. And I remembered that I'm the CEO of my life. And so that now I go from crying to laughing because I'm kind of in that like space. And I'm just like, well, if I'm the CEO of my life, then why am I crying on the bathroom floor? And then I had... In that instant, I felt my empowerment come back. I felt my personal power rise. And so that's a little bit about that environment and how I tolerated it and why I shouldn't have and how I ended up realizing that it was time for a change. And so what happened after that? So you're in the bathroom, on the floor, you have this, I'm going to say God moment where you're like, wait a minute, I'm the boss. I need to get it together. What happened next? How much longer did you stay in that job? How did you start to, I'm going to say, heal yourself and start to make moves to move toward your dreams? 
That's a great question. I reached out to my network. I reached the very, very, very first thing I did was call one of my girlfriends who's a professional in my industry as well. And this whole time for the three years, she had told me that I was tolerating shit that I didn't need to be tolerating. <laughs> she just like, she was like, oh, I don't know how you're doing that. You're Becca Powers. Like, <laughs> snap. So I called her and I was just like, I'm finally over it. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know today's a different day. I'm not going to go in and say yes to everything. And that's where we started this conversation. I started reframing and saying no so that I could say yes to myself. But this is what happens when you finally admit that things are falling apart, that you don't have the answers. That's when answers can come in. I'm not controlling the outcome anymore. I finally gave it to something bigger than myself. And my friend, Jesse, who I called within 24 hours, had me a job lead. Wow. And it took me a couple months of interviewing and things like that. But this position would take me out of leadership. And so that was a big, like I said earlier in the conversation, that was a big thing that I had to consider. Was I willing to hang up my leadership hat so that I could have more flexibility and freedom? Which one was more important to me? And so many times in life, we are faced with a decision like that. And we can choose either option. But the main question is, which one serves me the most? And when I got quiet with that, very easily, I was able to say, this one does freedom and flexibility. And I resigned. My meltdown was in October and I was out by December. I think that's a great story. And what really resonates is this idea of when you give up control, so to speak, when you let things go, when you just let it all fall, and then you actually recognize that you had power. You're giving me the goosebumps. You're speaking my language. Keep going. <laughs> and so when you let it all fall, because honestly, you were juggling things that weren't important to you. You were juggling other people's priorities. And when you let those things go, which most people feel like that's a sign of weakness. No, it was actually like, you know what? I don't have to be beholden to you that actually can, like you said, choose me, say yes mm -hmm. to me. And that's where your power came in. And then once you had that, I'm going to say that idea that there were alternate possibilities, that's when you could hear your friend. Yes. That's, that's when doors started opening. Because I think when we're in a stressful environment, we don't even know you can leave the room. Yes. And that's exactly my point. I was so blinded. And I think what I want to say, building off what you just shared, is that you're kind of asked what shifted and what did I do? I remember you just inspired a thought for me, but I remember very clearly remembering my different set of what if questions. So this is something practical that the listeners can maybe apply to their life even today. But I remember when I was in fear and like I said, when I first got asked to be 50% of myself, fear led my what ifs. What if I stood up for myself and I got fired? What if I pushed back and I just even got reprimanded? My questions went like that. What if, and there was some type of punishment associated with it. The day I rose off the bathroom floor and I was re-engaged with my personal power, my questions changed. What if I stood up for myself? What would that do to my self-worth? Mm. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that feels a lot better. What if I gave myself permission to explore other things and I found something better? How would that feel? And I was like, oh, that would feel really good. <laughs> so. I encourage the listeners just to play with what if 
in a way that supports your well-being because there is a path that supports your well-being, even if you can't see it. I absolutely adore this. This what if changing your questions. And I think we are prone to thinking the worst. One of the things I talk about is confronting your fears in order to thrive as a CEO, because I think we are always, just like you said, you're operating in this atmosphere. And when you really interrogate those fears, you have to ask yourself, where's this coming from? And often it's not internally generated, it's generated by some external party, whether it could be your family, your friends, obligations, people fear failure, people fear success. There's all these things that are generated. And when you sit down and really interrogate those fears and figure out, okay, where are they coming from? And really, are they truthful? Are you really going to be homeless? And I know that is some people's lived reality, but I'm saying you're corporate, you're generating income, you're operating in your profession. If you take a chance and leverage what you already have as far as your experience and your skills, is it really realistic to think like, oh, I'm going to bankrupt my family? No. Probably not. Yeah. So I love that that idea of changing your questions. Yeah, changing like, what if I was Yeah. What if I rose instead of fall, you know, fell? Those were things it shifted and just gave me so much more empowerment. I was like, oh, there's a the woman I used to know. Mm-hmm. And that I can cry thinking about that because... I think so often we move through life and we're like, oh, I used to be this and I used to be that and kind of get down on ourselves. Well, I have two things to say to that. One is we're always evolving. So we're never going to be the same person that we used to be. So the more I got in tuned with evolution, I didn't have to carry the guilt of not being the person that I used to be. But I can say part two to that is that woman, the parts of myself that I was reflecting and said, oh, I used to be so confident or I used to be so sure she still exists. So it was just me inviting her back in and saying, hey girl, you got a seat at the table. You're allowed to make some decisions again. (laughs) I can just imagine inviting my 21 year old self who was super confident and knew everything, inviting her back in. Can you imagine inviting her back in with the wisdom you have now? That's what I was saying. It's so empowering to just shift the perspective on that. Like, Oh, I've evolved, but that person still exists. And now I also have all this wisdom. So, (laughs) oh, I love that. That that really makes you think you're not out here by yourself. I mean, it's me, myself and I, but if you think about all the permutations of yourself that Mm -hmm. you've had, even from a child, right? When you're curious and the world is your oyster to whatever age you might've been when you feel like you were fully in your power, fully grown an adult. And then you realize you're really not an adult. And so, (laughs) but really thinking about all those different views that have existed and pulling the goodness from each one of those, that's an excellent idea. Yeah. And it brings us back to wholeness. And that's kind of been my journey as I spent a lot of time rejecting myself. And anytime I got into this space of like, oh, I used to be this or I used to be that, a little bit more of me sunk down. I was like, oh, what if I was all these things? What if they all had a space inside me? How would that feel? And then I started feeling more whole. And I was like, oh, well, that certainly takes away some anxiety. (laughs) Yes, you are giving me life. (laughs) I know, Nikki, you and I could literally talk forever. (laughs) 
we had a great conversation before, but now I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm really struck by this idea of inviting all yourselves, this Mm -hmm. being proud of your evolution, but also remembering, remembering yourself, bringing yourself back. I think you talk about this wholeness of uniting all those pieces and parts of you. I think as we go out in the world, we start to fragment. And so when you were at work, you've been told to be half of who you were. And so that had to bleed into who you were on the personal side. It absolutely did. I was disconnected from myself. So we go back to this wholeness. So how it manifested in my personal life was I was disconnected from myself. I was not present enough. I was there, but not there. What I mean is I wasn't present enough for my kids, for my husband, by relationships that were most important to me. My kids felt neglected during that time. And I was home every day. So what does that say about my emotional state? Nothing. My fear-based what-if questions didn't benefit anybody. If anything, it destroyed my life. Wow. So one of the things I think that's really profound to understand that being physically in a space is different than being present. Mm -hmm. Sure is. I think that speaks back to the fragmentation, the divided attention. Again, when you're told you're too much in one space, then you're like, oh, am I too much over here? Or how do I compensate? I think it causes an almost cognitive dissonance as relating to people in your life. So I'm so glad you got out of that space. (laughs) One of the things I know that helped you on your healing journey was practicing yoga and a very specific type of yoga. So can you talk to us about your Mm -hmm. practice and your journey as a yoga practitioner and instructor. Sure. So while I was there, I started that job in 2013 and in 2000, I think it was late 2014, maybe even 2015 when I started, I can't remember the timeline, but one of my reps, actually one of the girls on my team at work put a packet on my desk while I was on vacation for a Kundalini yoga teacher course. And I had only done Kundalini yoga once and I loved it, but I was like, I've only done that style once. Do I really want to become a teacher in it? But I was being guided to it. So I just, it was one of those things that I was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I know yoga is healing. So I'm like, what's the worst thing that happens? I don't want to teach it and I want to heal. That's cool. So I ended up going on the Kundalini yoga teacher certification, which is nine months. But what I learned in that program was the power of mantra, the power of mindset, the power of meditation in a different way than I had learned it before. I learned how to connect back to myself after all that disconnection. So by the time I hit the bathroom floor, I did have these nine months of learning all these different Kriyas and the science behind yoga, which I'm a kind of a nerd. So I geeked out. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know so much went into all this. So it really helped me when I was in that fragile space of rising, but there's that, I call it the bridge of in-between when you're in between two worlds. I was really able to use that space of sitting with myself instead of being uncomfortable. I was able to sit and use power of mantra. I mean, just the tongue hitting the top of your mouth scientifically brings energy. It brings momentum. So that's why people always say, watch your words, because there's a whole scientific thing happening there. I really believed all this stuff. So as I was using the skills that I learned to help transition my life, and of course, I love to teach it now because it's awesome. Now, what distinguishes 
kundalini yoga from other types of yoga that folks may be more familiar with? Very good question. So kundalini yoga is referred to, we refer to it as the yoga of self-awareness. So how I was saying it really brought me back to me. I appreciate all yogas. My second favorite style is hot yoga, which is completely different. But with kundalini yoga, there are over a hundred different, we call them kriyas, but a hundred different yoga sets. There's over a hundred different mantras. There's mudras, which is what you do with your fingers. And there's all these different combinations that have different, we call them packages. They deliver on certain things. Maybe it's manifestation, maybe it's healing, maybe it's your liver or your gut health. There's pituitary gland series that focuses on intuition. There's literally a set almost for everything. And because of that, instead of you are working your whole body, but there is an intention going on. And because there is a very clear defined intention, it really helps with self-awareness. And so as you're going through this designed Kriya, then you're going into a meditation that is anywhere from three to 30 minutes, depending on what is best for that. And then you do your savasana, or sometimes you do your savasana and then the meditation. So in a 75 minute class, you're going to have minimally probably 20 minutes to yourself in meditation and savasana combined, if not more. And so there's no way of getting away from yourself. There's a book, The Body Keeps the Score, Bessel Vanderkirk, I think is his name. And he scientifically proved kundalini yoga to rewire the nervous system because you're spending so much time with yourself. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, definitely something I want to check out. I'm never going to be a hot yoga fan. I just feel like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I'm open to other options. And my favorite is Savasana. So that's always mm-hmm. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, you'll like Kundalini then. There's a lot of time in that peaceful space. Yeah, the meditation, the rest. So I do want to spend some time talking about the book. And so can you talk a bit about the inspiration behind the book and then share some of your, I would just say, key tips for helping entrepreneurs harness their inner CEO? Yeah, sure. So the inspiration from the book was really when I had that miracle shift that from the bathroom floor, when I was the CEO of my own life, when that came back, that gave me my empowerment. And so then I spent two years healing and changing jobs and bringing in new experiences and flirting with coaching again and all the things. But once I got to about the two year mark, I used all the tools, whether it was Kundalini or coaching programs I had been from the past or leadership programs I had been through the past. I had a whole bunch of tools at my disposal. And I was like, well, this is probably the best time to use it because I got a lot of healing to do. So I started just pulling things in that I thought would benefit me. That's how I built the framework for Harness Your Inner CEO was through my own healing journey. Before writing the book, I brought a couple of people, a couple of clients through that framework, that step-by-step process. And then I saw their transformation unfold. And I was like, okay, I'm on to something. I think I can write a book. So yeah, I mean, the whole point of writing the book was to share that step-by-step transformation and to give, especially women in the workplace, entrepreneurs, and even in corporate folk too, the tools to transform their life and really live in passion. I think that we're not taught that in grade school. So it's not something that comes natural. We need other people who have figured it out to share the way with other people. They say like empowered women, empower women. 
And that was really where my energy was coming from when I sat down to write the book. Great. And so can you share a few tips from the book? Sure. I'll share a tip from each part. So I have three parts to the book and they are in sequential order as far as what I feel you need to do the transformation in a way that has lasting change. And that's to start with personal power. And personal power for me, like I said, I really felt myself rise when I gave myself permission to be the CEO of my life. But what really helped that transformation stay was that I was willing to prioritize myself over my family. I was willing to prioritize myself work. I was even willing to prioritize myself over the universe, which was like for me being a yogi, I had all this wrong. In chapter three, I call this the ladder of self-worth and I figured out what kind of works. And again, I've put a whole bunch of people through this and it works for them. So what I've found is that life works best for you if you're at the top. So I call that rung one. Rung two would be the universe right below you because you need something to support you as you fly. And then three, you would prioritize your immediate, I call them intimate relationships. Everyone's life is different. Partners, spouses, kids, parents, whatever. Those first level, maybe best friends, things like that. And then rung four would be other people. These would be your secondary relationships, coworkers, colleagues, acquaintances, extended friends, things like that. And then fifth would be, and this sounds crazy, but this would be your career, money, beliefs, things like that. What I found, and it's funny, is that if you do put people, including yourself, before profits, you actually invited more prosperity. It was a flip the script moment for me. I chased money and my career for so long, again, to the point of my hair falling out in clumps. But once I reframed myself and I started putting myself first and putting my family first, and my career came at the bottom. It's not that it's not important to me. It's one of my top three priorities. It's just that I wasn't willing to sacrifice myself for it. And that's the piece that I'd like listeners to take away. Nothing requires self-sacrifice. And that would be the rising into your power piece is just be willing to consider yourself at least as much as you consider other things. You've said some very scary things, I think, to a lot of people, right? You just said, put yourself above all else. Yes, it's scary. All else, prioritize yourself above all else and then everything else will fall in line. Yes, ma'am. So I can imagine that a lot of listeners right now are like, yeah, no way. Yeah, she doesn't get it. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't do that. That's not even possible. So how do you, either in the book or with your coaching clients, how do you hope make that shift? It's one step at a time. You're not gonna be able to, like I was on rung five. Think about it. I was on the bathroom floor crying. I was at the bottom, 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 bottom. And so I had to climb. But it did start with saying no to things. I needed more time and space for me. And so it's just started small like that. And although I say no, what it looked like more was my plate's kind of full. Can you ask Jennifer to handle that? I didn't have the courage yet to say a full no. But I did have the courage to start suggesting other people or other things. And as I started to do that, I had more space. The thing that most women, why that ladder seems so scary is because so many people rely on us. We have our fingers and into so many things that we don't have room to prioritize ourselves in our schedule. 
again, we were just kind of joking about it, but it's like, that's never going to happen. And it can happen slowly over time if you start giving yourself more time and space. I think that's great advice. I think that one step at a time, making small changes, saying no to others, saying yes to yourself. I think where we started in the beginning of this conversation, but this brings it into sharp reality of what is possible when you start to make these small changes for yourself. Yes, because when you bring yourself to the top, your self-worth increases. And so I'll hit the other three parts super fast because it's all connected. So once your self-worth is increased, everything works. All of a sudden you have more time and space and you're like, oh my God, I have more time and space. Maybe I could take a dance class. Maybe I could take an art class. Maybe I could take a writing class. Look at it. I took a writing class and wrote a book. Hey, I wanted to do that. I was like, oh my God, my old version of myself, there was never ever time. And I wrote a whole book. There's time. It just doesn't exist when you have your formulas all crazy. So then when I'm feeling more passion, I'm happier. It's the craziest thing. My self-worth is increased. I'm happier. I'm doing things that I like instead of things that I hate. And the result was something I didn't expect. And I alluded to it a little bit during our conversation, but self-worth and net worth, ladies, have a direct correlation. Every single client that I have brought through this program has ended up making more money. And I'm not saying that like my programs, there's lots of programs out there, but what I am saying is that if I was doing research, what I would say is their self-worth increased, so their net worth increased. And so that's why it's so important. Your self-worth increases, you start finding passion, you're in a space of co-creating, and then boom, prosperity happens as a result. So that's it. Those are my tips. Self-worth directly connected to net worth. Yes, ma'am. And to your point about prosperity, I know before we talked about a lot of people are praying for prosperity, but they should really be praying for wholeness. Yes. Again, connected to the whole conversation we've been having, connected to the self-worth. And really, I think it's recognizing that if you're focused so much on the money and the achievement, but you don't have that underlying foundation, you're actually not going to find happiness. Right. Chasing that external validation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why there's so many case studies done on some of the richest people in the world who are the most unhappy because they have chased an outward goal that wasn't inwardly fulfilling. And I'm sure at certain times it was fun and like, yeah, I did it, but it's not lasting. And that's where when I talk about the ladder of self-worth, people freak out when I put the career and money on the bottom. But it's when you're so focused on it, like you were saying, it ends up being a stressor and then Mm -hmm. contraction happens rather than expansion. That's great. That's great. So Becca, there are two questions I ask every guest on my show. So the first one is, what are one or two songs that are on your power playlist and why? Oh my gosh. I have been going off on Eminem's Not Afraid. That has been one of my jams lately. And then I've also... Rihanna's Diamonds, I've just been listening to a lot lately too. So those are today's top two. Both great songs. And besides your own book, what is one book that has helped you thrive in business? My gosh, there's so many, but The War of Art. The War of Art, okay. Okay, it's a book on resistance and it is incredible. And it's like hard for me to remember because there's the other one, The Art of War, that's like, so popular and whatever, but it's the other, it's the art of war, war of art. (laughs) art. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I even confused myself, but there was a book people 
and it's on resistance and it is written so well that it was one of the books that really helped me free myself to be able to be like a dualpreneur. And like you were saying, it's absolutely incredible and helps you reframe things because resistance is one of the things that stops us from fulfilling our dreams. Thank you for sharing that. Rebecca, if people want to connect with you or learn more about you, how can they find you? I am at Becca Powers 1313 across all social platforms, which would be LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. So that's at Becca Powers 1313. And then my website is BeccaPowers.com. Great. We'll add all of that information to the show notes. Well, Becca, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you. We could go all day. We'll have to find a time to connect again, but I'm so happy that you spent this time with me today. Yes, Nikki, thank you so much for having me on. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. You can also share your feedback, your insights, your thoughts with us on social media via Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe either on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep thriving. Thank you.